0: Everybody. Good to see you this morning. Good to see so many smiling faces. Um, if you are visiting here, we're so glad you came. Wanted to let you know about a special app we have. If you have a smartphone, raise your hand if you have a smartphone. I think most of you do. Um, you can download this app on either Apple or uh, the Google Play Store. And it's free and it allows you to take Arden with you even when you're out of town on the road. We have over a year's worth of Bible teachings on this. You can listen on the go, and especially if you're on vacation. So um, we're uh, happy to make that available to you. Um, As we prepare our hearts for the word, if you will, please go to the Lord' prayer with me. Father, just thank you for that time of worship. That was so special. And God, as we sing that final song, that our hearts want to be prepared for your word, we pray that would be the, the case, that you would prepare our hearts that you would open up our hearts to not just information, but transformation. So, Father, we acknowledge that your presence is already here, and we just pray that we would experience the presence that's already here, the presence of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to be in James chapter 3. You can turn there. We're doing a series called Real Faith for Real Life. And last week was about real faith really works. Today we're going to talk about a topic that I think all of us struggle with. But I want to talk to the guys first of all. How many of you men have ever said something that you regretted? Um, especially maybe if you're married. Well, I came across this picture of things that men do to get women upset. Uh, the first one is lie. That's, that's definitely not a good thing. The second one is be honest. Not talking to them. Talking to them too much. Not showing any emotion. Being too emotional and breathing. (laughs) Most of the men are nodding. All jokes aside, um, this week I found myself uh, getting myself in trouble. So uh, you guys want to hear the story, how I messed up. Most of you do. For those of you who don't know me, I'm very honest about um, how when I blow it. Um, It was this week while I was preparing for this sermon about the tongue, the fiery tongue that um, I was talking to Kira about something, and I had no idea my wife was listening. She was in another room. And I found out later she overheard something I said. It wasn't mean, per se, but it was one of those things that's by interpretation. I won't tell you what I said, but I'll give you an example. Like, you know, you ever see something, you're like, we used to have fun back then. Well, we don't have fun now. It was one of those type of sayings. And... I found out that it made my wife cry, and I was like, oh, what am I going to do? So I apologized. I went to the gym, and then I came back, and I, guys, I decided to man up. I brought a, her home a bouquet of flowers and a special chai latte. She loves chai lattes, and I was like, please forgive me. So she's very easy and agreeable, so she, she had already forgiven me. But it begs the question that even when you're working on a sermon about the tongue, how you can mess up, if, If that's true for me, then I'm sure all of us can relate. And today we're going to talk about the power of the tongue. How once you say a word, you can never unsay it. Of course, you can ask for forgiveness. You can apologize as I did. But did you know that in this room are concealed weapons? Everyone's got one. And I'm not talking about a handgun. I'm talking about in your mouth, the fiery tongue. Everyone in this room has a concealed weapon. We just don't realize it. So we're going to talk about how the tongue can either be a weapon of mass destruction or the tongue can be a tool of God used to build people up. And James is going to talk about how we often use the tongue for bad, but we're also going to take another take on it, how we can use the tongue for good. So how many of you are ready to jump into God's word today? Say amen. All right, James 3, 1 through 12. And if you have a bulletin, there's a listening guide to help you follow along with us. If you will read along as I read, it says, my brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment for we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he's a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in the horse's mouths and make them obey us and we turn about their whole body. Look also at the ship's. Although they are so large and driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles? And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among the members that it defiles the whole body. And sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude or the image of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus, no spring yields both salt water and fresh. May God bless his holy infallible word. So when you think about the tongue... Um, it's, it's a tough topic because every one of us that can talk has a tongue and we often get, get ourselves in trouble. So I want this sermon to turn from ouch into an amen. So hang with me towards the end. We're going to see some rays of hope. So if you look at the thoughts about your tongue on your listening guide, Josh Billings said the best time for you to hold your tongue is the time when you feel you must say something or bust. You ever been there? Or you're just like, it's about to come out. And you're like, why did I say that? Your tongue is either your greatest ally or your most formidable foe. How you wield your words determines your gain or loss. So today, we're going to talk about your tongue is on fire. Help. Help me, pastor. My tongue is on fire. Number one, the greater the influence, the greater the responsibility. If you look at verse one, he says, my brethren. Let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. Now, what James is not saying here is it's a bad thing to be a teacher. What he is saying is you shouldn't jump at the opportunity of being a teacher until you're ready. Allow God to prepare you before you try to prepare people for what God has prepared for them. And that's why in in later passages in Timothy and other places, it talks about an overseer, Is also one that teaches, but it says, let them not be a novice, lest they be lifted up with pride. I was reading about a lady that was a Bible teacher. Her name was Henrietta Mears, and uh, she was a special Bible teacher. And she was the minister of education at Hollywood Presbyterian Church. And over her course of her tenure, as many of you Sunday school teachers have done, um, this blew me away, over 400 people got called into ministry from her teaching. Now think about that, 400 people One of those, many of you are familiar with, Bill Bright, the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ. He was inspired under her teaching, got called into ministry. Richard Havlerson, the former chaplain of the U.S. Senate, was also called in. And this is right around the Hollywood, Beverly Hills area. And she, she lived her life to the Lord, and she passed and went to go to heaven. And basically, they said her funeral was so big, that according to the funeral directors at, at this particular cemetery in Hollywood, there were more people at her funeral than any Hollywood star that had ever been buried there. The impact that she made. Now, on the contrary, um, 40 years ago, many of you remember, remember this name, Jim Jones. He also was a teacher. And they said Jim Jones was so charismatic, so charming. Um, I'll read you a quote from one of the articles I read. It says, with the cadence and fervor of a Baptist preacher, the charm and folkiness of a country storyteller, and the zeal and the fury of a man, man, manatical dictator, James would just, like, inspire his people, and they were willing to do anything for, for Jim Jones. And what was really sad is he talked his people into moving down to a place. And um, as, as he began to lead these people in Jonestown, Um, This was some almost 40 years ago. Um, He had them uh, drink a certain suicidal formula and they, they committed suicide. It was in 1978, many of you remember. And only 33 people survived. The rest of the people perished. Some 900 people committed suicide. And this was the guy that would take the Bible and twist it to preach socialism and twist it to speak whatever he wanted to say. So you see the power of the tongue. The lady that used it for good, and 400 people got called into ministry from her teaching. And you see Jim Jones, the cult leader, that used the Bible for for his own purposes and for evil. And some 900 people, their lives were perished. So James says, don't presume to be a teacher, because the greater the influence you have, the more strictly you will be judged by God. So every Sunday school teacher, every Bible teacher, every preacher in here says, ouch, Because the greater the influence, the greater the responsibility. So the wisdom principle we can learn is allow God to prepare you before you try to prepare others for what God has prepared for them. Number two, the fiery tongue. One of the smallest parts of your body wields the greatest amount of control. In verses 2 through 6, we see the cause and effect. He's going to paint some different analogies. But as we study history, two other figures emerge. Uh, that go back further in history is Winston Churchill and Adolf Hitler. Both were very great communicators. Adolf Hitler could speak to thousands upon thousands and the whole audience would be swayed under his great rhetoric. The same for Winston Churchill. One used his words for death and the other used his words to rally a country to life. We know from scripture that in the tongue there's the power of life, and the power of death. So let's look at the cause and effect that James gives us, starting in verse 2. It says, For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body. So James gives us a few characteristics. Number one, we all fall short of God's glory. He says we all stumble. And all of us would say, that's true. So if you, like me, have messed up in the past week, or the past month, or the past year, there's still grace for us. Amen. A sign of Christian maturity is that your talk and walk are in sync. Notice it says if any man can bridle the tongue, he is a perfect man or a perfect woman. The idea is Christian maturity. If your talk and your walk match up, that shows that you're spiritually mature. But it brings a question. James tells us that no man can can control the tongue. So how is that possible? If I can't do it, who can? We're going to talk about that. But a person who does get his tongue under control He or she usually has their whole life under control. I love where it says that they're able to bridle the whole body. So here's the good news. If somehow you can find a way to reign in your tongue, to reign and train your tongue, guess what? You can control your whole life, your whole body. In other words, if I can watch what I say, the rest of my life, the other decisions I make will be a lot easier if I can control the smallest part of my body. So James gives us several analogies if you look at the text verses 3 through 6, um, three examples from everyday life. He talks about large horses, large ships, and small sparks of fire. How many of you have ever been horseback riding? Raise your hand. All right. I remember the last time I've done, I haven't done it since, was on my honeymoon. My wife and I went to Aruba and they had one of these romantic sunset horseback rides. And I was like, wow, this is going to be great. So we got on the horse and I got one of those crazy horses that had the crazy eyes. And... Um, I thought this was going to be a romantic sunset ride on the beach, but my horse was not under control. So this whole bit and bridle thing, it works if the horse is already tamed, right? That's the caveat. Um, Lori's horse was tame; Mine was, I don't know, maybe had a bad day the day before. But the idea is a tamed horse can be controlled by a small little bit in the horse's mouth. So what James is saying is, think about your tongue. It's like that small little bit, it will lead your life this way or that way. If you can rein and train your tongue, it will direct the course of your life. The other example he gives is imagine a large ship. How many of you have ever been on a cruise? I haven't been yet. That's on my to-do list. But some of you love cruise ships. Have you ever looked at the back of a cruise ship and you small, saw the small little rudder that moves this way, the ship goes one way or moves the other way, it goes the other way? It's amazing how this ginormous cruise ship can be turned and charted through the waters based upon that small little rudder. So James is saying, listen, in the same way, just like a horse and the bit, just like the big ship and the rudder, so your tongue, as small as it is, it affects your life. Practically, we've seen this, uh, if you've ever been on a job interview, or for those of you who own businesses and you've interviewed someone, how many of you have ever said something, you like, I shouldn't have said that on a job interview, and you didn't get the job because you said things that were not really beneficial to hiring? And for those of you who hired people, how many of you didn't hire someone because of what they said on a job interview? Small little tongue can have so much impact on your life. The other example he gives is a small spark. He says in verse 5, um, the tongue, he says, see how great a force a little fire kindles? And verse 6, and the tongue is a fire. So you think about that. One small spark can light up a whole forest. One small, small spark. And many of you have experienced this in your life, whether for bad or for good. Now James focuses on the destructive nature, but there's also the positive nature. Did you know that someone's positive words can also light a fire in your life and encouragement? I was listening to uh, this message. This lady was uh, doing a teaching on this passage. And she said, when she was in fifth grade, you know how fifth grade, you're 10 years old, and girls love to do those sleepovers. How many of you ladies ever did a sleepover when you're in a fifth grade? Okay. So she did, you know, and sometimes girls can get a little cranky with each other, fifth grade, 10 year old girls. And, one of the girls said something very mean to her, and she got really upset. Her feelings were hurt, so she got a little gripey. She went to bed and was like, I don't want to talk to you. And during the night, uh, the other girl said, I need to turn you to turn on the lamp. They had to go to the bathroom or whatever, and she refused to turn on the lamp. So the other girl had to walk around her, turn on the lamp, and this girl didn't realize But she was laying right next to the lamp. All she had to do was lift up her hand, and she didn't realize it. So all of the the 10-year-old girls berated the girl and said, what kind of friend are you? You just, something's wrong with you. You're you're a horrible friend. And I kid you not, she said those words haunted her for 20 years. Every time she self-sabotaged a friendship, she would hear those little 10-year-old girls saying, what's wrong with you? You can't do anything right. What kind of friend are you? Those words repeated for two decades. And as a 29-year-old, almost 20 years later, she realized... The reason my, my, my relationships are self-sabotaging happen because of a little lamp situation. Those words make an impact. And as I told that story, many of you can go back to a time in elementary school, middle school, high school, college, or even as an adult where people spoke words over you that were destructive. And to this day, that record repeats over and over again. Some of you have heard words like, you can't do that. You'll never amount to anything. You're too old. You're too young, you're too poor, you aren't pretty enough, you aren't strong enough, you aren't smart enough. But what if today you heard the voice of God and he said something like this, you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. You can become all that God wants you to be. You are the perfect age to do something great. Being old doesn't mean you can't be young in heart and spirit, kind of get an uh uh-huh. Remember, God, when you're young and watch him use you in ways that the world will take a double take. You are beautiful because you're a masterpiece of the master. So if anyone ever told you you weren't attractive, they're a liar. Send that back to the pit of hell because God says you're beautiful. I've made you fearfully and wonderfully as my masterpiece. And you're, you're my daughter. And by the way, if you don't like your current setup, I've got a glorified body waiting for you on the other side. So just hang in there. You may be weak. But God is strong. Let his strength work mightily through you in the power of the Holy Spirit. So for those of you who have sickness and weakness, I I really feel with you that that's a hardship. No one would ever wish it on any of us. But if you are, realize that his power is made strong in your weakness. So weakness is actually an opportunity for God's strength to be evident in your life. Don't say that you're not smart enough because Jesus is the wisdom of God. And if his spirit lives inside of you, He's going to give you the wisdom that you need. Amen. Notice also in verse 6 that the tongue can cloud your character. Look back at verse 6. It says, the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body. Did you realize that saying negative things, not just curse words, but being a, a negative person, speaking out negative words, that can, in people's hearing and people's perception of you that can minimize your christian character Uh, they can see that you're godly but what you say doesn't line up with what you say you are people are like well that person says they're godly but listen to them they're negative it's almost as like they've been baptized in lemonade i mean think about it sour negative critical so james would say listen don't allow your tongue to defile your whole body that's not a good thing Also, you see that the tongue is the rudder for the direction of your life. You notice the next phrase in this, it says, it sets on fire the course of nature. Other translations say, the will of life. So the idea is, the tongue affects your entire life. From the womb to the tomb and everything in between, your words have a direct direction on your life. Now you're saying, well, how is that, how is that possible? How is my tongue so powerful? The reason being is the whole universe was spoken by God into existence. He spoke the world into existence. And think about it, whose image were we made in? God's, right? Now, the caveat is we don't have the same power as God does. Some, some people take it that extreme, they name it, claim it. We don't go there. But the Bible is clear. The, the tongue does have power. So being made in God's image, the things that you say do have an impact on your life. And we're not talking about a name it, claim it theology, but we're saying be careful because you speak either life or death in every situation, the power of the tongue. And the question is, it says in verse six, the tongue is the fire. That is true. The tongue is the fire. But here's the question. What fire sets your tongue on fire? Is it the fire of hell or the fire of heaven? One of the two is going to set your tongue on fire. James is talking about people, even Christians, that where their tongue should be set on fire by heaven, it's set on fire by hell. That gives you passion. What are you passionate about? What motivates your tongue? Many of you studied in school about the Great Chicago Fire of 1871. According at least to tradition, does anybody remember how it started? Mrs. O'Leary Cow, it kicked over this lantern. Caught Chicago on fire. According to uh, my research, 300 people died and over 100,000 people were homeless. And we don't know how it started. It's possible Miss O'Leary's cow. But if you look at the devastation, I think it was something like four square miles or something like Chicago was burned down and only a few buildings survived. I mean, look at this picture. It it was just devastating. And James says, your tongue in like fashion is a fire. And if it's not set on fire by the Holy Spirit and by God, if it's set on fire by hell, it will make people's lives look destructive. Number three, you by yourself, and you may want to underline by yourself, can't tame your tongue. In verses 7 through 12, James gives us some more analogies. He says you can tame a tiger or a brute beast, but you can't tame a tongue. He says every kind of beast and bird and reptile and creature, all these have been tamed, but no person. And the implication is by themselves can tame the tongue. You might want to know that this word tamed in the Greek, this blew me away. The only other time, to my knowledge, it was found is Mark 5, 4, about about the guy that was demon-possessed. And it said no one could tame him, Um, not even shackles, no one could keep this guy under, he said he couldn't be tamed. So isn't it interesting that James uses the exact same word to say, just like that that demon-possessed person couldn't be controlled, your tongue can't be controlled. So it brings us a question. We're like, okay, pastor, where are you going with this? Watch the tongue, but we can't control it. Doesn't that seem like a paradox? It is, but hang in there. We're going to get there. Um, James says we often speak out both sides of our mouth. It says we, we bless God, and yet at the same breath we put down people who have been made in God's image. So we're vertical and we say, Hallelujah, praise the Lord, but yet that person that cuts us off in traffic, we yell out, we get upset, sometimes we say profanity, sometimes we say things that we shouldn't. And did they do wrong? Perhaps. But guess what? Everyone that your eyes lays upon, everyone that you see is someone for whom Christ died. So it doesn't it's not congruent to worship God and praise Him, but yet speak down of other people. And everyone said, Ouch. A little girl named Mary um, had been born with a cleft palate. And unfortunately, like in many situations in school, people made fun of her. And she just felt so rejected. You know, she didn't look like the other girls in school, felt like she didn't fit in. And this was back in the 1950s. Uh, The teachers, and many of you will remember this, they required a hearing test where they would whisper something in your ear. And you had to repeat it back. And they would say something like, the sky is blue. And you had to repeat it back to the, the teacher giving the hearing test. So one, one day, the teacher that was doing the hearing test, a little Mary, her name was Mrs. Leonard. She whispered seven words that changed Mary's life. She said, I wish you were my little girl. Could you imagine feeling rejected, feeling unloved? And those seven words, I wish you were my little girl, that changed Mary's life. So Christians, if we're going to praise and worship Jesus and the Father and the Spirit, let's speak words of life. We either infuse life into people or we make people shrivel up. We make people feel dead. So our language should reflect the image of God. Because we are made in God's image, we should speak as good representatives for God. If you look at your listening guide, there's two types of people contrasted, and I try to summarize my understanding of this passage the tame tongue and the untamed tongue. The tame tongue builds other people up. The untamed tongue tears people down. The tame tongue is full of healing. The one that's not is full of deadly poison. One blesses God while the other curses people. One sees people as significant. While the other sees people as less than. One is illustrative of a fresh, refreshing water. And the other is bitter, unsatisfying water. Here's the truth. is We're either going to make people bitter or better. We're either going to inspire hope and courage. Or we're going to speak words of destruction. One is consistent in character. And the other one is unpredictable. James is so good with analogy. He uses... Three more analogies. This time, more in the farming world. You have a spring, a fig, fig tree, and a grapevine. So, would you expect a spring to have fresh water or salty water? I'm hoping fresh water, right? But if you put salty, if you put fresh water in salty water, it's going to be salty water. So, even if we have good language most of the time, but sometimes it's polluted with the words we say, and people's hearing, they're like, "Yeah, I don't, I don't." I know you say a lot of good words, but I can't hear the good words you're saying because of the few negative words you're saying. So what's the solution? I know this is heavy. And I'm heavy with you. But I said, hang in there. There's hope. There is a solution. Only God can tame your tongue. James says you can't. Look at verse 8. No man can tame the tongue. Yeah, that's true. But God can. So I'm going to give you three ways to tame your tongue, and then I'm going to give you a practical application to apply. The first one is this. Here's three practical steps of how to really do it. First of all, you need a heart change. Everything that we talk about is not just good moralism, it's gospel-centered, and it has to start with the heart. Look at Matthew 5:18 through 19. It says, But the words that you speak come from where? From the heart. So here's the thing. If you listen to a person, talk long enough, you know the condition of their heart. And Jesus says, "That's what defiles you. From the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual morality, theft, lying and slander. So it's not just from your tongue, your tongue's connected to your heart spiritually. In Luke 6:45, it says, "A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good." An evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, brings forth evil. Now listen to this phrase. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. So if you're like me, you have trouble with what you say, you've got to check your heart. Where's my heart at? Instead of just repenting of the words, which we do, we need to say, God, change my heart. If my heart is hurt, heal that. You ever notice that hurting people hurt people? If you say hurtful words, it means usually that your heart is hurting you don't know how to how to do it but you lash out because you're hurting you ever notice that insecure people usually put people down because they feel bad about themselves so that's all they know is insecurity Do you ever notice that women and men that are confident in christ they know who their identity is they can build others up because they themselves feel confirmed in their faith so you need a heart change number two you need god To give you the ability to control your tongue. So after your heart's changed, the second step is to ask God, I need your help. Okay, I got a new heart. Now help my heart and my tongue to be in sync. In Psalm 141.3, the psalmist says, take control of what I say, O Lord, and guard my lips. And surely we have slips with our lips. That happens. James says, we stumble. But that needs to be the exception and not the rule for us. Amen. And number three, this is something I want to go back to James in verse six, where he says the tongue is a fire. Now, he talks about the tongue being set on fire by hell, but there is an alternative. We find this in Acts chapter two. And I want to read the scripture to you. And I have it on your um, screen here. It says when the day of Pentecost had fully come, They were all in one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven. Notice sound. As a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them divided tongues. Notice sound and tongues. As of what? Fire. And one set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And began to speak with other tongues. The Spirit gave them utterance. Here's what I want to draw from that as an application. If your tongue has been set on by fire by hell, the alternative is God has a fire from heaven. And he can change the way you talk. And the Holy Spirit's the only one who can help you with that. So instead of our tongues being set on fire by hell, we need the heavenly fire to fall fresh on us, which is an analogy of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's a, you guys want to hear the truth. Whenever I say something I shouldn't, it usually means I'm full of Timothy, not the Spirit. Whenever I speak the words of God, the way God wants and I encourage people, it's usually evidence that I'm filled with the Spirit. So if you're, if you're constantly critical, negative, cutting people down, just, just my, my guess is you're probably filled of yourself. If you want to change that and be positive and uplifting and build people up, If you want to speak words of life, you have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen. So I'm going to give you a five-day challenge as we close. These are five ways to begin to transform your life in five days. You are like, how is that possible? You do this five-day challenge and tell me if it works or not. And it's going to start today, by the way, at lunch. The first step is speak to God regularly and frequently. If you want your language to change, you first got to talk by speaking to God. And by the way, God wants to talk to you today, tomorrow and forever. So speak to God. Number two, speak the truth in love. Here's the challenge. Many of you speak the truth, but it's not loving. Or some of you are just loving, but you never tell the truth. We need to learn the balance of speaking the truth in love. So speak to God, number one. Number two, speak the truth in love. Number three, speak the other person's language. Do you ever notice that we communicate in a way that we receive and we understand? What would happen if you began to communicate in such a way that the other person would benefit from that? So that's learning their love language. learning how they, 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 they receive the native heart, the native tongue of the heart. Number four, speak words that are living. Words that build people up in the Lord. So we need to be life-giving people. We need to speak life into people, not death, not defeat. And number five, and this is one of my favorites, speak true and inspiring words that you wish others would speak to you. I know everyone in the sound of my voice longs, I wish someone would say this to me. You know what that is, whatever affirmation you need. What if you followed the golden rule of communication? You know the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. What if you started doing that by the way you talked? What if you talked to others the way you dreamed and prayed and wished that others would talk to you? Man, we'd be the most uplifting church the world has ever seen. Speak to others how you dreamed and wished and prayed others would speak to you. Final story. I'm using a lot of school teacher illustrations. We have some teachers in here. There was a school teacher in Minnesota. And for those of you who are teachers, how many of you ever had a kid in your class that had extreme ADD? Anybody? It's like every class of you, I see the eyes rolling. So there was this kid that had extreme ADD, but he was polite. Every time the teacher would call him down, he would thank the teacher for the correction. And um, so the teacher realized this year, it's one of those school years. Some of you school teachers have had a year where the whole class was just divided and arguments. And she's like, you know, it's it's one of those classes where you just want to quit, drop out. Um, Many of you have been there. So she decided, I'm going to do something to build unity in this class. She she wrote everyone's name on a sheet of paper and had a few spaces. And she said, I want you to write something nice about each person in the class and turn them in to me. So what the teacher did is she took every name, Johnny, Sally, Susan, Richard, and she compiled all the nice things and she gave it to each student. And unfortunately, years later, this boy um, who became a young man I believe, I don't, I'm not sure what age but he ended up dying in an automobile accident and uh, his mother called the school teacher to let her, let her know what happened and her heart was just devastated and she said, I want you to know something, that as we were preparing for the funeral and you know, uh, getting his body ready we found something in his pocket and it was the list of all the kind things the students had said about him. He had carried this with him every day in his pocket So by your words, you either speak life or you speak death. So let's review it. Um, Today we talked about the greater the influence, the greater the responsibility. So if you're a teacher, that's a good thing. And God rewards us if we give the right thing. But realize, the more influence, the more responsibility. Number two, one of the smallest parts of your body wields the greatest amount of control. The tongue is like this fire. It's like the rudder in this ship. It's like the bit in the horse's mouth. How you talk and how you speak and how you communicate impacts not just your life, but the lives of those around you. Number three, you by yourself can't tame your tongue. That's the bad news. But the good news is number four, only God can help you tame your tongue. And instead of your tongue being set on fire by hell, God wants heaven to flood your soul, to come out your mouth, to speak the words of God. So your lunch question as you go to lunch is this. Are you aware of the power that you possess with your words? That's the question I want you to take home with you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word is so powerful. And God, I don't know about anyone else, but I know about myself that as I gave this message, that as I confess in the beginning, I blew it with my wife and had to apologize. But I blew it often. And sometimes I realize I'm, I'm full of Timothy and not full of heaven, not full of the Holy Spirit. And I just want to speak to believers, first of all, as everyone is praying uh, with no one looking around. Would there be a believer that would say, Timothy, I'm right there with you? Sometimes I blow it what I say. Uh, yes, if you'll just keep your hands raised. Father, for those hands raised to the sky, we confess and we repent that often we use our words for destruction and not construction. Instead of edifying, we discourage. So Lord, today as your people, we surrender our tongues to you. First of all, we surrender our hearts and we pray that you would fill us with the spirit, with the fire from heaven. So this new fire, this presence of the living Lord inside of us would change the way not only we live, but the way we talk. And as the believers continue to pray, I want to speak to someone here that may be seeking out the Lord. If you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, your greatest need is not to change your talk, but to change your heart. And if you've never personally received Christ, right where you're sitting, if you believe that Jesus died on the cross for you, that he is God, that he is good, that he rose from the dead for you, and you're willing to repent and surrender your life to him, just right where you're sitting, say, Jesus, I believe that you're God, I believe that you're good, and I want to surrender my life to you. Forgive me of all my sins. I surrender my life to you to make you my Lord, my ruler, my leader, my Savior. Friend, if you prayed that prayer, we want to invite you to come forward and we want to welcome you to the family of God. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers. Help us be people who speak life into every person, into every situation we find ourselves in. In the name above all names, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Friends, if you would, please stand. I'm going to do the invitation a little different. I'm going to be at the front and Miss Judy and Adam's going to be at the front. And that, that story I gave of the 10 year old girl, that may be you. You may have had people as a child, as an adult, speak negative things over your life. And you may need someone that's going to stand in the gap as a representative of Christ and say, listen, here's what you need to hear that you're lovely, that you're beautiful, that God has a plan for you. We need to replace the words of the enemy with the words of God. So if that's you, we I invite you to come forward. If you want to join the church or if you have any other commitment you need to make, we'll be standing at the front. So come as the Lord leads.